I don't know where we're getting ready to go this morning. I know that we've got some things planned out, but I think God's getting ready to do something pretty amazing in, in some of your lives. Like he's, he's spoken to me about some of you specifically. I've gotten to pray with some of you already. I think some of you are getting ready to experience like literally some breakthrough in this place this morning. So here's what I love about this. We're going to end this service with some baptisms. But I believe this service, I believe what's getting ready to happen really neat, I think is getting ready to happen maybe even after this service is over and there's still like maybe 50 or 100 of us hanging out in this room. We're going to be praying over some people. I know that there, uh, there's some healing that needs to take place in this room. Um, we've, we've prayed already with the worship team here this morning for somebody's ankle that has been really hurt and it's causing you not to be able to walk really well. We've also called out sinus upper respiratory infections that are causing people just to be miserable, basically. Um, And then there's some other things that we're going to probably get to here as we talk about what God's been downloading into us over the last couple of weeks. It's amazing what happens when you sit down. It's it's amazing what happens when you sit down and say, okay, God, I, I have nothing. God, I have no idea. I have nothing. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that's ever been to that place. I've been there several times in my life and just in this five short years of this church's existence. I have literally sat down on multiple occasions and said, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. And God, if you don't share something with me, I am going to lead this thing called Hope City, not the Big C Church as Pastor Bradley was talking about. The Big C Church, guess what, is going to continue to prosper. But as I have been actually somehow entrusted to lead this thing, God, if you don't give me something, I'm leading it right into the ground. On multiple occasions, I've sat and said, God, what do you have for us next? And what I'm getting ready to share with you today, and then there's probably going to be a few weeks in between, but starting in January and February, we're going to start unpacking some of the things that we are trying to literally figure out as we go. Bradley, Pastor Bradley, you know, his, his title here is executive pastor. He leads this campus. He leads all the staff here. He came into my office just not too long ago and he said, hey man, basically this is what I heard him say. You need to start trying to put in words what has actually taken place in your life and in this church's life. And some of you, the experts in this room right here, you got, well, that's no problem. That'll take just a few minutes. But I'm going to tell you something where I am personally, this is just behind the scenes. I am personally on a journey trying to put into words, articulate on paper and here while we teach what is actually taking place in my life, this church's life in this community. I want to tell you something, man, it's exciting. I I, I love because my personality is a gambler at heart. I am a maverick by nature. I don't need to know where the next step is. I'm just going to go and trust that the Father is going to place the step there. I'm not afraid of the dark. I just have great faith. And I want to share some of that faith with you guys today. Maybe you're lacking in the faith category today. Then I want to give you some of mine and what God has entrusted me with. I know where many of you in this room are, seriously, just by, by being in prayer the intercession that it goes on in this church, showering me and our team. I know where many of you are simply because God through the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And man, I understand that not only you, but a lot of people in this community. And so the very first thing that I wanna just share this morning with you, 
where, where I could literally spend at least a year talking about is the word worth. The word worth. Your personal worth. I could spend years simply just talking and teaching to you about your personal worth. And you may think, well, Scott, that's, that's actually what you talked about two weeks ago. And Pastor Brent even talked a little bit of it last week. I just told you, I could spend a year or two talking about your personal worth. Because I believe as we continue down this journey, and you're going to see some words that are going to come up on the screen in consecutive order. We've got to understand, as children of God, as Christ followers, we've got to understand our personal worth. We've got to understand just because of who God is, we, his children, are worthy of everything that he has in store for us. But the reality is this. There's many people in this room who your personal worth, it may be at an all-time low. You may feel as worthless and useless and used up and guilty and shameful and you name all the words. Your personal worth probably is at an all-time low. And so what I want to tell us from this point on, this is going to be the gist of a lot of teachings, not only here, but in January when more Mondays kick back, this is what we're going to be teaching. You see, I think the first step is understanding our personal worth. I'm not going to go to, if you'll get the slide up there that has all those other words there, I'm, I'm not going to go into all of those today. There's no chance in a little 30-minute message that I could hit on all of those. I'm probably not even going to do worth justice. But I promise you, as we journey over the next year or two, we're going to start seeing light bulbs go off in many people. You see, if you don't understand your worth, you've heard us talk about our identity. There's no way you're going to understand your identity in Christ if you don't think you're worthy to be loved by Jesus. No chance. And if you don't understand your identity, you will never understand your true calling. You will never understand what you were created to do in your specific area during this lifetime. There's no chance. And if we don't help you understand how worthy you are, and if we don't help you understand who you are in Christ, if we don't help you find your specific calling, there's no chance that we, and the church calls it, disciple you. There's no way we can equip you. Actually, what we have been doing is causing more harm than good. Because we have been equipping some of you. We've been equipping you to go and do something that God never called you to do. So we're going to go through this journey. And you see, the last word just in this time frame is the word empowering. And that's where we all want to start. I'm going to talk about a guy by the name of Peter here in just a few minutes. Listen, Peter's shadow healed people as he walked by. He was so full of the Holy Spirit's empowering that he was so powerful in his relationship with Jesus that his shadow had power in it. Now, we know it was the Holy Spirit. It was God that was doing the healing. But people just wanted to get into his shadow. That's the cool things. We, we talk about the highlights of the empowerment You know, Peter also stood in front of crowds and spoke with boldness and thousands of people gave their life to Jesus. We we don't want to look back on Peter's journey. We want to jump straight to the empowering. 
And I want to tell you something. I think that's where many of us in the church have gone. And that's a dangerous path to go down. Because we're out here trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And we are not even sure that we're worthy to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to just wipe the slate clean. And here's where we start today. And this journey is going to take some time. But guys, I have to let you know that you, because of Jesus Christ, every single one of you, every single one of you, I don't care how young you may be or how old you are, you're worthy to be loved by Jesus. You are worth more than precious gold or silver. And I don't care how you feel. You are worthy to be called a child of God. I wish we had like little meters above your head and I could see where your self-worth was right now. I would go to the one who is at the lowest and I would just look at you and I would say, listen, even you are worthy to be called a child of God. I can't wait till the day I look out and I see all of your worth meters and they're at 100. That's coming. But it has to start today. You see, if we did have those meters above our head, you know what we would be doing? We'd be looking around. We'd be comparing, wouldn't we? Like, that dude's an eight. He should be like a three. We would compare. That's what we do by human nature. Listen, I'm guilty of it too. But here's the thing. We've got to stop comparing ourselves with all of our surroundings. I went into Lululemon about two weeks ago. First mistake, all right? I should have stayed out in the car. But my wife, we were doing some birthday shopping for her. She had been blessed with some gift certificates. And, and if you don't know what Lululemon is, listen, don't go. <laughs> if you do know what Lululemon is, you know what I'm talking about. Lululemon is an athletic store, but it's like a Victoria's Secret for athletic stores. All right. And there's, and I didn't even know this. And I'm going to tell you the whole story. It'll take a couple minutes, but I, I was invited by my sister and um, Lululemon is a store that she shops, my wife shops. And, and, and listen, your BMI, which is your body mass index, needs to be at like a negative three for you to walk into that store. I was by far the most out of shape individual in Lululemon that day. But what I didn't know on top of that was that it was professional athlete night. The only way you were getting in the store and getting the sale that was going on was you had to be some sort of professional athlete. I started to look around. I was like, every single one of these people look like they just literally ran an Iron Man and they're going to run another one after they buy their new shirt. And I'm sitting there. I was literally, they made a seat. Now, I'm not going to tell you all they had, but they had a seat and I was just sitting there and I was looking at these people. I'm like, I'm hideous. I mean, I am literally, I said, and, and it, they took forever shopping. I won't go down that store. But we finally get outside and my sister using her professional athlete card. I didn't know you had a professional athlete card, but she used to be a professional athlete. And so she used it and she got to do it. But me and, and, and my wife and Joe were sitting out in the, in the parking lot waiting on Marcy to come in. I said, you've got to get me to the nearest Walmart quick. <clears throat> I mean, like, get me there. I don't care which one. Get me there. And so what I've just figured out, my wife is going to continue to want to go to Lululemon. 
So I'm just going to do a lot of push-ups and some crunches before I go. Won't eat for a week and I probably will feel much better about myself. But see, here's the thing. And I'm very confident. I know that I'm worthy. You cannot do one thing. You can take my title. You can go to my nice office. You can have everything I've got. And I'm still going to be 100% confident in my worth as a child of God. But I still struggle with comparing because you've got more worth than I do. I, I, we've got to stop comparing. We've got to know that we are worthy no matter what the surrounding circumstances. There are some of you in this room, and I'm not going to go down the, the marriage talk this morning, but there are some of you and your spouse makes you feel unworthy. I think that's one of the most attractive things about my wife is that she is so confident in who she is as a daughter of God. She knows her worth. And I don't dictate her worth because she knows that her heavenly father dictates her worth. So every single person in this room today, you're worthy. There's the story of Peter, and I'm not going to hit the highlights of Peter's life. I actually am going to hit the lowlights for just a few minutes this morning. If you want to turn with me to look at what happens in Luke chapter 22, verse 60. It's the last part of Luke. Um, it's a pretty neat little setting. You probably say, well, that's not very neat at all, but I, I think it's very worthy. I think it's very beautiful for where we're getting ready to go in this journey here at Hope City. I'm going to talk and highlight Peter's lowest point of his life. I don't need to see a show of hands, but I'm just going to go ahead and say, I know that there are some of us in this room and we're at the lowest point of our life. I want to also point out that you probably are not as low as Peter. If the scale, Peter is probably about a one right now. I believe in the New Testament of the disciples, there was one disciple that was lower and his name was Judas. And we all know if we've been around church at any time, we know that Judas was at a zero when we know what happened with Judas. I believe Peter literally was one step above where Judas was. Because Judas was the one who turned uh, Jesus in. Peter is the one who denies him now here in Luke 22. And it's the 60th verse. He denies him for the third time. He throws his hands up in the air. Someone had just asked him, surely you're with Jesus. You're one of his, aren't you? And Peter says in the 60th verse here, you can look at it. He says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. It's got to be Peter's lowest point. We don't know much in scripture about what happens later, but we all know that, that Peter somehow goes back to what he knew. He went back to doing some fishing. Peter, at his lowest point, who knows what he's thinking? His worth is probably as low as it's ever been in his life. And I want to pick up the story after the resurrection, after Jesus died on the cross, after he was buried, after he was raised from the dead, Jesus is now in his resurrected body walking around. He's walking around and he finds himself standing on a seashore. He's looking out over the Sea of Galilee, which is it's not a large body of water. If you want to put the Sea of Galilee in your mind, maybe take like Ocalo Lake and then double it. That's it. Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's looking out and he sees the boat where Peter is fishing. 
And Peter and the other disciples are fishing and they look to the shore and they see that there's some kind of figure, a man, and they're not, try, they're not sure who it is. But I believe in the back of Peter's mind, he's like, oh God, please, I hope that's not Jesus. I, I, I think that's him. It looks like, I hope that's not Jesus. And he gets in here, and if you want to look at this story where it actually is, it's in John 21. And it's around the seventh verse, and it says this. Then the disciples, or then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, he confirmed probably Peter's worst thought. He said, Peter, it's Jesus. And I want to stop right there. Take the scripture off the screen because I don't want you to see what is actually going to happen next. But I want you to put in your mind what actually took place. Peter is thinking, like some of you right now are thinking, the guy with the microphone is saying, you're so worthy to be loved by Jesus. You're worthy to be the child of God. You're gold. You're worthy. No matter what you've done, no matter what you think you've done, you're worthy. And some of you are thinking, no, I'm not. You're thinking just like Peter. Man, I just denied Jesus three times. There's no way that I'm worthy. I hope that's not Jesus on the shore. But you see, what we don't have here in Scripture is something took place. Something took place between G, uh, Peter denying Jesus and Jesus being resurrected and this very story that I'm getting ready to share with you. Something took place. And I don't know the exact detail, and I can't tell you that it's in a single verse or what chapter or even what letter it's in. But something took place. Because what Peter does next proves to me that Peter knew, even though he denied Jesus three times, Peter knew that his performance, which was terrible... Peter knew that his performance did not dictate his worth. His past performance did nothing to cause his performance to decrease. And so that's what I need you to hear me say this morning. And that's why this is just not one message and be done, check it off. We've got a journey down this for years because some of you in this place, you have terrible performance. You have performed worse than anybody in this room. But I need you to hear me say that God is so good and he loves you as his children so much that your past performance does not dictate your worth. But I also need to spend a year on the other side of that conversation. I need to spend just as much time telling you and teaching you that your good performance... The ones that think that you've got this figured out. And listen, maybe you do. But you've been performing so good and you have regularly done these routines and this relationship with Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit has become nothing more than a bunch of rituals. Can I tell you that I don't care how good your performance is or will be. Your good performance is not going to cause your worth to go up. 
I, I, I think I, I shared this in more Mondays two weeks ago about my little son, Ezra. Little Ezra is he's three, so he has no clue how to get really angry and mad. He has no clue. But when I tell him no or something, like when I say, no, you cannot have a, a sucker for breakfast or put your cars up or it's time to go upstairs and get your PJs on, he, he, he says no, and he, he stomps and he gets as angry as he possibly can. He, he musters up as much hatred as he can and he points and he shakes his finger at me or his mom and he says, you're not my friend. That's what he does. That's as mad as he can get. Now, his mom just picks him up and spanks him, but I have another route, which I think is the best. As I just take it, I say, that's okay, buddy. I love you. I love you. You're not my friend. That's okay. I love you. And I, I think that there's some of us in here. We're on both sides of this pendulum swing. Your poor performance and you shaking your fist at God and all the anger that you can muster. You're saying whatever you've been saying to God because you've been performing terribly, but our father is just looking at you, his child, and he's saying, but I love you. But I love you. And on the other side of the pendulum, you have some of these people saying, look, dad, look what I'm doing. Look how good I'm doing, dad. And he too is just looking at you and he's saying, but I love you anyway. I love you, no matter your performance. See, Peter here in the part that we didn't read yet, after the disciple that Jesus favored the most, which, man, I'd like some of that. He says, hey, hey Peter, that is Jesus. That's him. And if we're not careful, here's what we do. On hearing a truth like this, that you are worthy no matter your performance, whether good or bad, in our minds we start to think, oh, oh no, no. no it, it, that's too good to be true. That, that's Jesus there. And if Peter would have not known his worth, I, I don't know exactly what happened between him and Jesus. I have no idea. Peter would have gone into the lowest point of the boat and he said, no, that's Jesus. I denied him three times. I performed terribly that night there by the fire. I am going to hide and let's go somewhere else. Let's go to another shore. I've been there on the Sea of Galilee and so I know exactly where this scene is actually taking place. I would have jumped in the water like Peter but I would have swam in the opposite direction. I could have made it to the other side. But something that happened between Jesus and Peter, Jesus resurrected, having conversations with Peter. Jesus, I think somewhere along the line, putting his arm around Peter and loving on Peter. He said, Peter, I love you. Because what happens is Peter finds out that that is Jesus on the shore. 
He says, that, that's Jesus. He says that he jumped up out of the boat, jumped into the water, and swam towards Jesus. You see, guys, that does not happen. Let's just say this. That hasn't happened in my past. Because guilt and shame, worthlessness, poor performance never pushed me closer to Jesus. It did just the opposite. But can I tell you, you see what the enemy longs for happened to you, God's child, is that when you do sin and perform really poorly, the enemy has designed that to push you further from Jesus. But the father, no, no, listen, this is why we're going to teach this for years to come. You see, what the Father has designed is your performance doesn't push you further away. The enemy is applauding that. But the Father's standing there with his arms open, accepting and taking your poor performance and everything you've got. You see, what we've got to start doing, church, is we've got to start putting more emphasis on the power of what Jesus did on the cross than the power of our poor performances. Hey guys, we got a long way to go got a lot of teaching to do. This is just too good to be true, isn't it? But you see, what's happened in my life is the more I've understood how worthy I am, the less powerful sin has become in my life. See, I've run into the arms of the Father so many times lately that sin has lost its luster. And you see what happens when I run into the Father's arm, when I get like Peter and I jump in the boat and I swim towards Jesus. The enemy's ploys and the enemy's tactics. Listen. I'm not perfect yet, but his tactics, they're minuscule compared to the goodness of the Father. And so Christians in the room, long time, short time, I don't care. Christians in the room, we've got to stop settling for the minuscule, temporary, satisfactions for literally experiencing heaven and the goodness of the Father right here and now. So what I think some of us need to do in this place today is much like Peter. Instead of being ashamed and because God surely is mad at me for denying him three times, Instead of beating ourselves up, 
And instead of running to something temporary to gratify our flesh, sin, why don't we try jumping into the boat and just, or jumping into the water and seeing what happens when we get face to face with Jesus? Because I can promise you, if you are listening to the Father, He's not going to highlight your poor performance. He is not going to highlight what you have done wrong. Even though you're shaking your fist at the Father. You see what's going to happen when you pull yourself up on the shore and you and Jesus are finally face to face. This is what you're going to hear him saying. Hey, buddy, I love you. How do I know that? Because I am a human father with many faults. I'm a human father. And if I, a mortal man, can tell my son in the face of him shaking with all of his anger that I'm not his friend anymore, if I, a human mortal father, can tell my son, hey, buddy, I love you anyway, then what is our God in heaven telling us? You see, it tells me in scripture that he knows only how to give good gifts. That what kind of father is going to give his son a stone if he asks for a piece of bread? Every single one of you in this room are worthy. You are worthy to be loved by Jesus. And you are worthy to be a child Some of you just need to take a step. Right where you are, you need to take a step out and you need to run headlong after Jesus. You need to put aside all the stuff. You need to quit listening to the voice in your head. You need to quit listening to the people around you. You need to quit comparing yourself. And you need to know that you're worthy.